Hey, listener, this is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We are actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to UpMyInfluence.com slash guest. Let's get on with the show. And with us right now, Kate Gray. Uh, you are a marketing strategist and you're the founder of Kate C. Gray. Um, now, you're found on the web at bossbitchbusiness.com. It's going to be fun to say that name. Now, kids, you don't get to use that word. I don't think we have too many kids listening to it, but just in case there are any in, in the uh, car, you don't get to use that word. That's only for adults. All right, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Josh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, as those of us in the Northern Hemisphere would say, you're, we're talking, you're from the land down under. Where, where specifically in Australia? I'm from Queensland. I live in the mountains. You can kind of see behind wow. me. It's oh. a rainforest. So <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, no kidding. Well, Kate, um, give us an overview of what you do, who you work with, and what you help create. Yeah, thank you so much. So Boss Beach Business School was founded because only 2% of female entrepreneurs were hitting seven figures in revenue. And when I heard that, I was like, no, that's not okay. So we created a, a digital launch program and we support specifically female entrepreneurs launch or scale online digital businesses or products. Yeah. And Kate, um, you know, and I'm very curious about this from a, from a gender perspective too. What do you see in terms of how gender impacts um, one's ability to succeed in this environment? Do you believe that there are any inherent, well, of course there are, but I'll have you vocalize and, and illustrate this for us, you know, maybe additional challenges or roadblocks, or maybe culturally too, there's maybe some beliefs that um, are not helpful that may be a little bit more, you know, kind of gender role specific. Yeah. I do believe that one of the biggest narratives that women specifically run, and I think that this goes across most cultures, is that we really struggle to ask for what we want. So there's this unconscious um, bias, really, that we don't have a voice or we can't speak up, or if we do, particularly because of that archetype from the 80s of the woman in business who's like a ball buster and she's got the short hair and the, and the like, remember the shoulder pads? Like, we think if we do go into business and start speaking up and being powerful, then we'll end up like that, which is mm. absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with that either. That's amazing if that's what you, if that's who you are. Um, but <laughs> what, what actually happens is women tend to subscribe to that. And then it's hard for us to ask for what I want. And I see this directly proportion, proportional to women's ability or inability sometimes to sell from stage. And I know you're familiar with events and selling from stage and things like that. There's not many women. I think it's something like 30% of women speak on summits. Actually, it could be 20% because it's 80% male dominant, 20% of women. And I think it's directly linked to our ability to ask for what we want. So we struggle to ask for the sale. We struggle to ask for the promotion. We struggle to ask for the deal. We struggle to say, hey, what about me? I'm just as valid. Hey, what about me? I'm just as skilled. That that unconscious narrative is very permeated in our gender. You know, though, I, I it's interesting um, because I think of my own biases. If If I have to work with a salesperson, say, for example, mm -hmm. like, let's say I'm going to buy a vehicle. I, you know, it could be just me, but I would much rather work with uh, a female. And, and yes. that's just my own bias on that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I believe 
my belief is that they're going to maybe listen a little bit better. Um, my belief is that they may not be so pushy. And again, mm-hmm. this is all, I'm not saying any of this is correct or right. Um, but it, you know, I think some of it may have to come down to, you know, my previous experiences, but I, I, I think that there are, you know, while we look at some of the negatives, mm-hmm. I, I, I wonder if, you know, what are the inherent advantages that a woman has and how can you really recognize that? Cause I I don't know, like what I just shared right there. I I don't know that every woman really knows that. And again, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I speak for everyone or, you know, even a large majority of people, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's my bias going in. And I think that, you know, someone who's working in sales or professional or business woman should know that, that I, I probably have a little bit more trust just based on gender. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you think I, about no, that, Kate? I actually fully agree. And I think this is, it's funny. I did a post yesterday about this and I said, I believe being a woman is actually my advantage. And that's how I've mm. conditioned my view of the world and also why I believe I've been so successful. So if I go into a boardroom and I need to broker a deal and I'm the only woman, I'm like, brilliant. This is my mm. advantage because I have the ability to be linear and lateral. So if we look in terms of feminine and masculine energy, and I think what you're sensing when you're going to do a car deal or something like that is women are very nurturing. They're very all-encompassing. They're very circular, okay? And that's why we feel warm and kind. You know, It's the maternal kind of natural instinct that we have, even if we don't want to have children, it's still in us as women, whereas men are linear. They're systems-orientated. They're process-orientated. So if women can learn the skill of being linear, for example, if I bring it back to selling from stage and have that all-encompassing, nurturing, warm, relatable aspect, it is actually a massive advantage. And when we nail that, it's going to switch the statistics. Not that I want it to. I want it just to be equal and the, and the sure. best person to be on there. But, like, it's it actually is an advantage. Yeah. You know, though, I, you know, one book that I think was um, one of the most early on, I came across the book, Now Discover Your Strengths. And mm-hmm. um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with if you just happen to be very, very good at, you know, empathy skills, my mm-hmm. gosh, play that mm-hmm. up. Um, yes. If, yes. Uh, you know, so if by virtue of your upbringing, your background and, you know, maybe again, it might be a little bit more um, in alignment with gender specific roles. Um that is absolutely an advantage. So there's there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I, I have a perception that I'm good at this and mm-hmm. I, I really do think I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, d- you know, recognizing your strengths and max it out, male, female, yeah. whoever you are, yes. I'm, I agree. Know, by all means. Agree. I 100% agree. And I think what you just said there's interesting because then if we go into cultural in Australia, it's hard for us to ask or say, hey, I'm good at this because our culture actually wants to, it's called tall poppy syndrome. Have you ever heard of it? What did it say it again? Tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. I'll, yep. I'll translate for you in American. <laughs> you said that so beautifully and <laughs> I'll say it with a thick American accent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and so in Australia, if somebody is successful, like generally people don't like it. They want to bring them down. They want everyone to be the Aussie battler. They want everyone to struggle. Like people love an underdog here. And But once that underdog becomes successful, then there is like a serious threat to the status quo of like our cultural conditioning. 
So I love that about America. When I lived in America, one of the biggest things I loved is the encouragement I got to own my genius, to own my power. Everybody was so incredibly supportive and it was a breath of fresh air coming from Australia. You know, it's so funny because one of my favorite Australian bands is Midnight Oil, and they're very well known for their very working man kind of lyrics. And, yes. you know, the time has come to say fair's fair to pay the rent, to pay our share. Yes, right? <laughs> yes. yes, yes. And there's, there's, yes. Another, I forget what the other one is. There's another song. It's actually my favorite one, but it's, it's all about, you know, you know, we're all equal. We're all the same level, blah, 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 blah. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So when you have the opportunity to work with Americans, um, tell me what your experience of that is like, oh, I have a call with an American. Well, my, <laughs> you know, and you start thinking about um, the, you know, kind of unique traits between uh, Australians and Americans. Like, what do you notice about what how Americans operate? Yeah, I, Americans are very confident and they're also, they're very willing to ask for what they want and they're very willing to tell you what their genius is. And that is such a huge positive trait because it makes working with people much easier because you don't have to go through the mindset entanglement of not believing in themselves. And of course there are Americans that don't believe in themselves. I think that goes Mm. across the world, but generally in business, because I work specifically with entrepreneurs, when I'm speaking to coaches and consultants, Americans have this conditioning of like, I am great at what I do and I'm I'm actually going to tell the world that. I have no qualms about that. Um, whereas in Australia, it's like you've got to just kind of drag it out of people. Like people don't even tell you that they've got degrees or they're seven figures. Like it's just like they're just in the, in the corner not saying anything. It's not like that when I speak with American clients. No, that's interesting. Interesting. All right. So um, in your work, um, can you give me, uh, obviously you've built a great brand for yourself, but this is not your first business. Um, can you share maybe your your story of how you grew your very first seven-figure company? Yeah, of course. I did it in a very- Isn't that so funny? I'm like asking a question. How did you start your very first seven-figure company? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, so actually through intimacy marketing, Everything was done organically. I didn't spend a cent on advertising. And if I'm fully transparent, I didn't realize we hit seven figures. One of my staff member had, members had to tell me. So she was um, she was my salesperson at the time. And so in we had Infusionsoft. I don't use Infusionsoft anymore. Yeah. But she was looking yeah. at all the numbers and she seven-figure business. I'm like, really? Because I was so focused on service mm-hmm. and so focused on connection and giving. I didn't even notice the money was just a, an advantage and a byproduct. Yep. Isn't that beautiful that, that the money, and I've yeah. heard that so many times now, you know, five, 600 interviews that we've done here um, it is, it really is. So looking at the, I mean, obviously, you know, bottom line is pretty important and cash flow is very important and so forth. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've heard that a number of times. I was just doing what I do best, staying in my lane, staying in my zone of genius, serving, bringing value to the world, you know, waking up in the morning and asking myself, who do I get to serve today? Not who am I going to sell to today? And yeah, you look back and you're like, wow, yeah. look at what I just did. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And my marketing um, practice was always, what can I give first? So even any time that I did a campaign or anything to to sell, it was always, what can I give first? I love it. I love it. Okay. So 
Um, and what was, what was the name of the company or the nature of what you did? Yeah, it was ancient. It's called ancient awakening. Mm -hmm. And we ran psychedelic therapy retreats in countries where it was legal. I just have to say that because you never believe how many people would ask me if I knew where to get psychedelics from in my country. I'm like, it's illegal here. People do not ask me that. (laughs) Um, so I, (laughs) we ran in Nepal, Vanuatu and Mexico. And it was incredible. Uh, the business, we got to seven figures in 18 months and we increased our revenue by 800% in 12 months. And mm. everything was done through Facebook challenges. So I'm sorry, Tony, Dean and Russell, I was doing them before you. This was seven years ago. Um, and um, through a Facebook group, the whole idea of a hundred, sorry, a thousand true fans and nurturing that relationship, yeah. that was the premise that I used and it worked. I just repeated mm. it yeah. again and again. Yeah, you know, and and it's only, of course, that's only gotten more and more popular. Of course, you could listen to Joe Rogan, right? Yes. Any of the influencers have had that experience. It's very much not. Um, if you don't mind, just you know, because we, um, it, you know, your experience with, say, for example, like ayahuasca and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's very much not a recreational experience. No, oh gosh, no, it is not. A, in, 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 <laughs> You're not no. going to party in in that regard. No, 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 no. It's different. No. And, it's, it's, it's really hard work. And I used to think when I first got into the, the work, we call it medicine. And I used to think it was for everybody. And then as I matured in my path, I was like, oh no, it's not for everybody. There are specific people that it's actually not for. Like if people have um, an inability to have emotional intelligence or they, they struggle with being objective, it's very, very challenging and it can actually cause more damage than good. And then there's obviously the integration process, which our retreats really specialized in. I brought in my Buddhist studies, because to that point, when I opened the, the business, I'd been doing meditation and Zen. I studied Zen um, for around 15 years. So I brought a lot of the mindfulness practices from Thich Nhat Hanh and uh, different Zen lineages into the psychedelic work. So we we kind of blended the, the shamanic practices with the art of mindfulness and, and Buddhist intention and presence. Nice. Okay. So next company. <laughs> Um, Next company was my personal brand, and that's where we ran a lot of high-ticket masterminds, um, supporting entrepreneurs scaling to seven figures and beyond. Um, My signature program was called The 11th Hour with the reference that The 11th Hour is your final chance, final countdown, final shot. (laughs) Um, And that program was a high-ticket program that took people through 11 weeks of creating a lump sum of cash so then they could go on and scale their business. Yeah. Um, And so how did you grow that? Pretty kind of the same way. That was very much through because of my uh, ancient awakening experience, I had a big network. So I would say 80% of my clients came from networking, from going to success resources events, from my current clients. Um, I was very good at marketing in terms of sharing people's results, really Mm. highlighting, um, spotlighting clients. Most of it came from networking and referrals. I had a big community here in Australia. I was featured as one of the leaders. It was like I specialized at that time in working with what people would call conscious or spiritual entrepreneurs, which I've moved out of that space specifically now. Um, But I was kind of the only one that was doing what I was doing. I was very lucky. It was the right time. Um, And because I started working with Gary Vaynerchuk at just about eight months into that business, that then skyrocketed. The minute people saw videos with me with Gary and photos, like it just, that did make a difference. Yeah. So some people will hear you talk about your experience. And I know you've um, you and I have each worked with Tony Robbins as well. Um, and they'll look at that and say, how on earth did you get that? I want to do that. I want to do that so bad. Right. And um, what, what they may not be, I don't know. It's it, how, 
I'll let you explain it. How does someone get to work with a notable celebrity like that? And I know that, you know, Gary, Tony, that's just scratching the surface of the number of people that you've had the opportunity to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, there's an idea called paying to play and I paid like, and, and people get really funny about it and they got weirded in Australia. I don't know. We have a weird culture, but like, oh, why would you pay? They should just help you because you're talented or because you're good at what you do. I'm like, no, these people are valuable. They have valuable time. They're big their attention I because I have substance and skill mm-hmm. and I connect with them. I'm good at communication. I'm good at presence. It just seems to, to go from there, but you must pay to play. Like it's not a dirty sentence. You know, proximity is actually power. So you, but in order to get access, you've got to pay for access. That's exactly how I got all of my opportunities, including getting on stage with real success was literally because I'd paid to play up until that point and networked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, when you're at the early, early stages, it likely you're not ready for that because you don't have Mm -hmm. the means to ROI that, but eventually Mm -hmm. when you have the offer, you have the back end, you have the team to handle fulfillment, wherever it comes in Mm -hmm. at, then you could say, okay, well, this is an $18,000 investment. And Mm -hmm. if I do this, what is the likelihood that I will get X number of customers. Because if I can get mm-hmm. X number of customers, then that means that I will ROI my investment by, you know, three, four, five, ten 10 mm-hmm. times, mm-hmm. Um, which you can absolutely do. But totally. yeah, it's scary to make those investments if you don't, if you don't have that confidence behind it. Absolutely. I mean, investing with Gary the first time was two, two days. It was a mastermind with 27 plus figure entrepreneurs. There were guys in that room that had like $30 million e-commerce stores and they were like yep. 26. It was like, um, I felt like such a small fish. I loved it. I love being the small fish. Yeah. And um, it's so good, isn't it? But the networking like alone, you know, oh. just paying to sit with the platinum partners at a Tony Robbins event. I could tell yeah. you that the networking, like I made way more in, in, in new services, new class customers based on the premium that I paid for the ticket. Proximity 100%. is power. Yeah. And again, really I don't want, I don't want to say that and have someone feel bad because they don't have that investment. I know what that's like. I've been absolutely broke, poor, bankrupt, foreclosure, all that stuff in business. Been there, done that. So don't Mm -hmm. feel bad. Um, If that is in your future, listen, you could totally do that if you feel like that'll make sense. I I just want to be sensitive to someone's like, Mm. Yeah. Oh, I think that's. <laughs> and I'll tell you, in America, we love that 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 rags to riches kind of mythology. Where mm-hmm. oh, I was waiting tables and I got discovered. Right. <laughs> it is, I, I I've been in the media world for 13 years, and I cannot tell you how prevalent that is among yeah. people who come in. You know, who want to be on the Today Show or you know mm-hmm. want to be on whatever stage it is. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let's take a look at what you've done so far. And they're like, oh, well. No, I, I haven't done any local media. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> let's yeah. see. You got to earn your way. Um, totally. Yeah. I, I think that's re- actually a valid point because like as I evolved, like I started, I was 17 years ago, I was on the streets. I lived on the streets and I had a meth addiction. So I, I absolutely know wow. what it's like to struggle and to come from nothing. Um, yeah, but I worked my way to where I am, which it, it took time and hard work and resilience, but I got there. So if I can, and you're listening to this, trust me, you can. I was a mess. So really, I truly, sincerely believe that anybody can do it if they actually want it enough. 
Way to bury the lead on that one. So how did you go from <laughs> on the street and meth addicted to, you know, you know, being able to get to that next one? Was it, sounds like plant medicine had something to do with it. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely did. So um, my father passed away and um, him passing away was a really poignant moment for me because I was there when he died. I held his hand and I, it kind of made me go, wow, like the path I'm on right now, I'm going to be dead real soon if I don't actually clean myself up. And I was mm. cognizant, enough, cognizant enough to know that I was a mess. So I had that ability and um, tried to get everything. I did all of the traditional therapies. Nothing would work for me. Mm. So I enrolled at university, did Buddhist philosophy and psychology. And at the same time, I started microdosing. So I believe I invented, invented microdosing, which I definitely mm-hmm. didn't, but I'm claiming it anyway. Um, with different psychedelics, I found the work of Dr. Timothy Leary and Dr. Yeah. Richard Alpert, who later was known as Ramdas. And I was reading their, their books and I was like, wow, they have the ability to actually talk to their unconscious mind. Maybe if I can talk to my unconscious mind, I can figure out what the hell is wrong with me and I can fix myself. And then along that process, I realized that my addiction was just a symptom of disconnection. I didn't, I was looking for connection outside of myself when that actually had to be found with inside of myself and the the plant medicine and the meditation and the Buddhist practices helped me come home to myself. Wow. Wow. And I think you could probably say the same thing for any addiction. So if you're consuming a bit too much alcohol or whatever the thing might be, you know, you said say that again about the, about the connection with yourself. Yeah. So addiction is a symptom of disconnection from self. And so the remedy is to reconnect to self. Like it's about coming home to yourself and understanding that all that we seek can only be found within. When we're looking for things outside of ourselves, we're always going to end up feeling nonchalant, melancholy, depressed, sad, because nothing outside of us can actually bring us the wholeness and completeness that can only be found within. Yeah. Uh, Kate, do you have a few more minutes? I know we're kind of pushing time here, but um, um, so now your website, bossbitchbusiness.com, tell me about your great work today. um, And also for someone who goes to your website, um, it looks like you have, I mean, you have a lot to offer here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Look, right now we're really committed to helping female entrepreneurs create a life of freedom. So if freedom to you looks like five, six figures, seven figures, eight figures, as long as your lifestyle aligns with your values and you feel free, we're there to support you. If you want to be successful, find out where the world is going and get there first. The world is going digital. It's been going digital for a long time. We must get online. If you want a life of freedom, you must know how to create a business online. That's what we support women doing, right from knowing how to speak on camera, knowing how to to dress the message they want to communicate to their audience to building marketing funnels, both organic and paid, Facebook advertising, operations, basically everything, including mindset and how to actually show up as an entrepreneur because many women need permission to actually show up powerfully. So we include that as well. I love that. Okay. So your website, bossbitchbusiness.com. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, if, for someone who's like, okay, I just want to dip my toe in the water and mm-hmm. I want to spend some time with you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you have maybe like, what would you recommend if they just want to like maybe spend more time with you proximity and maybe not ready to invest in something mm-hmm. yet? Your community, free yes. content, yeah, or have, what, yeah. where would you send well, I have free content on the website. There's actually a bossbitchbusiness.com forward slash worksheet, which is my Pareto's law worksheet. Pareto's law is a mathematical equation that 20% of your actions yield 80% of your results. And basically it launched my first seven-figure business and I've run my life by it since. Get that. 
in the email, there's a link to join my Facebook community. It's a free community. I'm in there every day. I post, I share content, I share my story, I share my life. There's other women in there as well. So join our free community, download the worksheet, and then come and play, come and have fun, build a life of freedom with us. I love it. Kate C. Gray, thank you so much for joining us. Again, multiple seven-figure businesses and now uh, ready to be of service and join the community, bossbitchbusiness.com. Kate, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Josh. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com dot com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag UpMyInfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm -hmm.